Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 14. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people of, out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we pray that you will teach us by your Holy Spirit through your living word in Jesus' name. Amen. Do take a seat. And as you will have gathered by now, we are in the book of Exodus, and we're going to think this morning about God's promise to rescue his people, his calling of Moses, who he chose to bring about that rescue, and his call on our lives as well. So do please have that section of Exodus, which is chapter 3, verse 1 all the way through to 4.17, uh, open in front of you. That's spread out neatly there on pages 46 and 47 in the Bibles. We're not going to be able to read through all of that. You can do that on your own later. And you also will see, and this will be useful also to have in front of you, my outline, which is on the back of the yellow notice sheet. First of all, let me set the scene to put this call of Moses into context. This is all happening about 1,500 years before Christ, and the people of Israel are in miserable slavery in Egypt. So let me immediately ask you, what about now? What is the kind of slavery that humanity experiences now? Well, the scriptures are absolutely clear. Humanity is in slavery still, and it is in slavery to sin and death and Satan. 
Well, Moses uh, is an Israelite, but he grew up in the Egyptian court. And as a young man, rather like some dissident student under an oppressive regime, he seems to have taken it upon himself to champion his people, the Israelites. And he kills an Egyptian, but he is rejected by two Israelites when he tries to break up a fight between them. And he flees the country because he fears that his murdering is going to be reported and he'll get into trouble. And he seems to be a disillusioned and broken man. He becomes a shepherd. He lives quietly in that way for many, many years. And then as this passage tells, he has a life-changing encounter with God. And God calls him to go and to bring his people out of slavery. Now, when we look at Moses and the way that he responds to this call of God, which we're going to do, uh, it is a bit, it seems to me, a bit like looking in a mirror. Because what we see is what we are so often like and what are our own responses, it seems to me, so often to the call of Christ on our lives. And that is not surprising because the God we know is the very same God who spoke to Moses and we also share the very same frail humanity that Moses had. First of all then, God meets with Moses. This is chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Moses' day begins like thousands of ordinary days before, looking for fresh pasture for the sheep. But then Moses strays onto holy ground and he sees that burning bush that doesn't burn up. And God speaks to him. God meets with him. And I wonder in what ways God has spoken to you and met with you. And how has that changed your life? Because that is where it all begins for us as well. When we meet God just as surely as Moses met God. When we meet God in Christ. We don't see burning bushes But the truth is we have an even more glorious vision, which is a vision of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and the fire of Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit, a fire which doesn't burn up. God met with Moses. God meets with us as well. Secondly, God calls Moses because he has work for Moses to do. This is in chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. And there God says that he has seen the misery of his people. He's heard their cries. He cares about their suffering. So he has come down to bring them out of slavery and into the promised land. Come, he says to Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people out of Egypt. Well, what does God call his people to do today? We too are sent into this world of slavery. And our call is twofold. It is a call to love. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And it is a call to make disciples of all nations. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations. And I am with you always 
to the end of the age. Now those two things, loving and making disciples, are not separate things, of course. Loving people has to include sharing with them the opportunity to find eternal life in Christ. But that is our collective call, our corporate call, the call that comes to all of us as followers of Jesus. I wonder whether you know what your particular call from God is on your life. God's call to us is worked out in a million different ways according to the particular circumstances that he places us in. And I wonder too if we react as Moses did because what Moses does is come up with a series of objections. He has a gut reaction to this call which is to run away as fast as he possibly can in the opposite direction. Often there seems to be an underlying fear within him. Maybe it springs from that past experience of his and the breaking down of all of his hopes. And his gut rejects the call of God and his mind, as it were, leaps about looking for a way out. And in contrast, God just keeps going. He doesn't bulldoze Moses, but neither is he deflected from his course. Well, Moses raises five objections, five excuses, and let's take a look at them. Moses makes his first excuse there in chapter 3 and verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? says Moses. Moses had been hot-headed in his youth, but now he's learned to distrust himself thoroughly. And he sees this gaping chasm between his own ability and this huge task that the Lord has put before him. He is now just a shepherd. That's all he's known for years. So this is an understandable first reaction. Maybe a good deal better than if he had said, Sure, God, I can do that. I was wondering when you'd ask. But we need to be aware there are two kinds of self-distrust. One kind leads us to trust in God and, and to depend on Him. And the Lord wants to see that in us. But the other kind is of a different quality and it leads to spiritual paralysis and an unwillingness to do anything for God. And that is not a spiritual virtue at all. It springs from unbelief. So how do we react to God's call on our lives? Wondering what ways you feel inadequate for God's work. Well, God gives Moses an assurance and a sign. Chapter 3, verse 12, God said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt... You shall serve God on this mountain. So that assurance is the certainty of God's presence. I will be with you. And that, of course, is what counts. Neither Moses' inability nor our inability counts for anything when God is with us. That is all that Moses needed to know if he had just taken God at his word at that point. But he doesn't. Instead, Moses makes his second excuse. This is in chapter 3, 
from verse 13 down to uh, 22. Here's 3.13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? But I wonder if he really needs more information for the sake of the Israelites. Or is this Moses using the possibility of being questioned by them as a way of expressing his own doubts about God? And I wonder about us as well. Do we doubt that we know enough about God, know God well enough to be his ambassadors? Don't you think that at times we're inclined to say to the Lord that we would speak, we would serve, we would witness to him, but we don't really feel we know him well enough yet. People will ask all sorts of awkward questions. We'll find ourselves in difficult situations. We'll let him down, and he doesn't want that, does he? So we'll sit tight and keep quiet. Again, God answers patiently. Chapter 3, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And that is a name that reverberates right throughout the scriptures. So for instance, Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And that should be enough for Moses, what God tells him, and for the Israelites, and for us. We don't need to know everything. We are to trust the Lord on the basis of what he's already shown to us of himself. And then in 3.15, verses 15 to 22, again, God urges Moses into action to get on with it. And he assures him of success. The people will believe. The king's heart will be hardened. The Egyptians will be plagued. The Israelites will be delivered. And the Egyptians plundered. There are going to be obstacles, yes. But they will all be overcome. That could hardly be clearer. God will do it. But what's the reaction? Well, Moses makes his third excuse. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Now, this is really beginning to jar now, because the Lord has just told Moses that the people will believe. It's right there at the start of verse 18. God says, and they, the elders of Israel, will listen to your voice. It's really Moses' doubts that are surfacing. And again, as I look at my own life, I find that so very familiar. And I wonder if we make excuses simply to avoid God's call on our lives. Yes, Lord, but what if they don't want me? What if I tell them something about you, tell them a little of what you've done for me, and they take no notice? What if they laugh? What if they just ignore what, if I, what I have to say? Well, we as New Testament believers have a promise of the power of the gospel of Jesus to rest on. 
Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And Moses is again given a series of signs. They're there in chapter 4, verses 2 to 9. First of all, the staff that becomes a snake, then the hand that becomes leprous and then is restored to health, and thirdly, the water from the Nile that becomes blood on the ground. And shouldn't all of that have settled it finally for Moses? But yet again, Moses kicks against what the Lord is saying, and Moses makes his fourth excuse. Look at chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Now this is becoming a more unsophisticated, naked kind of resistance. But it isn't just Moses, is it? Wonder how valid our own excuses are when we're reluctant to obey God. Moses is almost going full circle here, dragging up his own inadequacies again. So the Lord questions Moses. Chapter 4, verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? And just in case Moses misses the obvious answer, God supplies that as well. Is it not I, the Lord? Moses' hesitations about himself must surely evaporate before the reality of the Lord, the Creator God. So then there is another command and another promise. Chapter 4, verse 12, God says to him, Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. What more could Moses ask for? And the truth is that at this point, Moses runs out of excuses. So what does he do? Does he now obey? No. Moses makes his final excuse. So now we come to the straight cop-out. There are no further objections that come to Moses' mind, however much he tries to drag something out. So his cover is blown. He's been trying to create this kind of smokescreen of seemingly rational objections to God's scheme. But God has waved the smokescreen aside, and now the truth about Moses' attitude is exposed. Chapter 4, verse 13. But Moses said, O oh my Lord, please send someone else. He is diffident and desperate, and his gut reaction spills out. He just doesn't want to go. And how does God respond? Well, if I can say this reverently, the response that Moses gets is God's own gut reaction. Anger. Chapter 4, verse 14, then the anger of the Lord was kindled, it burned against Moses. God is patient in his anger and he makes a concession to Moses even as he responds in anger. And he appoints Aaron, Moses' brother, to be Moses' spokesman. Moses is to decide what will be said but Aaron will speak. 
So there is a basic question for every single one of us. Whatever Jesus asks you to do, and wherever he asks you to go, will you obey? God is extraordinarily patient with us as he was with Moses, but the time comes when his patience has run its course. No more delaying tactics will be tolerated. But even at this point, the Lord is encouraging. He reminds Moses that he is still a vehicle of God's power. Chapter 4, verse 17. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. That staff that Moses had been given is not a magic wand. It doesn't have any inherent power in itself. That stick is a reminder to Moses as he carries it that he himself is like a staff, a stick in the hand of God. God is going to use him to do extraordinary things. But the power is with God, not with Moses. Moses is absolutely right about one thing. He is nothing apart from God. What he's been so stubborn and so slow to learn is this. God is with him. God has promised to equip him and guide him in whatever way he needs. And what God says happens. Well, the time has come for Moses to stop resisting God and that finally is what he does and Moses obeys. Chapter 4, verse 20, just beyond our section. 4.20. So Moses took his wife and his sons and put them on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And that, of course, is just the beginning of Moses' obedience. Now he is going to be useful to God as the Lord unfolds his great plan of salvation. And that plan reached down through one and a half millennia to the first coming of Christ. And it continued to spread worldwide for another 2,000 years until it reached you and it reached me. And it will continue on spreading into every corner of the earth until that day when the Lord Jesus returns again. And of course the Lord has called you and me to play a part in this great plan of his to save the world. There is no burning bush for us. Instead there is the gospel of Christ and hearts that burn within us as we hear the word of God calling us to follow Jesus and lay down our lives in his service. So what are the excuses that well up within you at the prospect of being called to be one of Christ's ambassadors? Do you feel inadequate? Do you think you don't know God well enough so you wouldn't have the answers to all the questions? Are you afraid of how people will react? Do you think that you are slow of speech and tongue and that you just won't be able to find the right words to do justice to the gospel of Jesus? Well, join the gang. And remember, we're not alone. Moses 
who was one of the most pivotal figures in the entire history of God's people, felt the same. So we need to learn the lesson that he had to learn. All of those reasons not to go, all of those reasons to keep quiet amount to nothing in the face of one great command and one great promise that Jesus gives to us who belong to him. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations and I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's bow our heads to pray.